welcome back to That Shit Is Poison with your hosts, Megan Gesner. And your other host, Harini Bot. Welcome. And uh, <laughs> we are so excited to have you again, Poison Pals. Mm-hmm. Hope everyone's having a fine Wednesday. Oh, good one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. We got to spice it up a little. <laughs> yeah, we, we got to we got to spice it up in how we like talk to you guys. <laughs> it's true because no, well, the, the reason I said good ones because it, today's actually Monday, but Megan has the foresight and the forethought to actually remember that you guys listen to this on Wednesdays typically, or any day that you guys listen to this. I know. So if you're listening to this on a Thursday, Friday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturday, or Sunday. What I said doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yes. If if you are, I would like you to pause right now and wait until Wednesday arrives and then yeah. press play. Yes. Stop listening right stop. now if it's Just not Wednesday. It. Yeah. And if this you is only literally, for Wednesday if, listeners. Yeah, yeah. If this is a Thursday and you're listening to it, I'm sorry. You got to wait a whole week. Yeah, you, you <laughs> Come gotta, back. You got to. Come back. <laughs> we'll catch you next week. Mm-hmm. But, but, that, but by that point, you'll be behind because there's going to be another one. It's true. <laughs> True. But, uh, plan for this. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, Brownie points to those who are listening to this on the day that it drops, which is Wednesday. Good job, guys. Good job. We We love you. We're all here. We're here together (laughs) in your ear holes. (laughs) And just, and just for that, I want to drop some info on you guys. Oh, snap. So, full disclosure Megan and I recorded last night. We did. And we, did the whole thing we did the talking to did the talking all of that stuff but then i told megan i was like i have a story that i wanted to mm-hmm. save for my mm-hmm. episode mm-hmm. that i will give my brother a shout out sid bot my brother he sent this to me or he told me about this and i had not mm-hmm. known about this megan i'm curious if you have this okay. is a breaking news story in oh, northern shit. california Ooh. okay so i'm just gonna read the damn story because It's just better that way. So basically, this is from an article by NPR. So there's a husband, wife, and then their baby. So John Garish, his wife, Ellen Chung, and then their one-year-old daughter, Miju, which is a cute name, and their dog. They were all found dead on a hiking trail near Heights Cove in the Sierra National Forest. Do you know where that is, Megan? No, I don't know. But I will Google it because there's a chance I've like driven through that area. Yeah, said Heights Cove. Like, yeah, it, it's spelled H-I-T-E, okay. Heights Cove, in the Sierra National Forest. So hmm. they went out, and then a family friend reported them missing on Monday because the husband did not come in for work. Then the bodies were all found. They're all just laying there dead. And mm. there's no signs of trauma, no signs of blunt force trauma, nothing to allude that any foul play. Fall, foul play, foul play. There's no foul play to be had around these bodies then they do a tox report and nothing comes back on the tox screening which okay when i first Sus. saw this right <laughs> right so when i'm like I have they tested this, for heavy metals <laughs> i know dude i freaking know so when i first read this article it had just come out so there wasn't a lot of information as to you know what the conclusion was or anything like that all they knew is that there is no blunt force trauma. There's no physical signs of damage to or anything that makes us know that this is why they were all dead. Here are their two theories as to what it could be. So they think it might be like toxic fumes related to some like mining or caves that might be nearby. 
Oh, Let me wow. make sure that's correct. I don't want to just be talking out of my ass. Yeah, toxic, oh, no. potentially linked to toxic gases from old mines nearby, which I did not huh. know could be a thing, I guess. But then the um, other... Yes. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, I'm just saying, yes, that could be a thing. Um, I'm looking at the map of... This is in near Mariposa County, which is also... Okay, yes, it's like in between right. Mariposa County and Yosemite. And I wouldn't be surprised if there are like um old shafts, shafts out there yeah. yeah yeah okay sorry yeah. to interrupt go ahead no no you're good now, now i need to look into like what kind of fumes might be coming out of there that would be that deadly to kill mm-hmm. all to kill all four of them like including the dog and the baby mm-hmm. the parents um mm-hmm. because they're hiking in fresh air that's the right. only thing that kind of bothers me a little bit about this but the other the other theory that they had was that it was toxic algal blooms. Oh, which okay. we've talked about on the pod. Like they might uh, have drinking out of like a fresh water source. That's what they the think. That's what they think. And the dog definitely like that was something that we talked about on the podcast with Allie that a lot of animals are more prone to getting uh, poisoned and even killed by that method by just drinking up some lake water but i would find it highly unusual for all four of them to drink enough of that to be killed within a day you know what i mean right i wonder hmm, i mean like this is just you know going off of those theories Mm -hmm. in terms of the toxic bloom one i wonder if they had like one of those bottles that's supposed to filter you know fresh water but maybe it was defunct or something um Mm -hmm. again this is totally a, a theory rolling off another theory but yeah, yeah maybe their filter was like defunct and i don't know i'd i'd love to touch base with ali to see like how much would you would a human body need to consume for yeah. the what are the cyto, cytokines what are the, the cyanotoxins yeah cyanotoxins to mm-hmm. impact you mm-hmm. yeah and there's i mean if people were thinking suicide route i they don't believe it's suicide there's no notes there wasn't anything to suggest that they had taken anything um no foaming at the mouth like these are the kinds of signs and symptoms that you would look for from a tox perspective of are there is there a bottle nearby is there anything nearby is there foaming at the mouth like nothing like that so it's just a really mysterious case which we i will definitely keep tabs on and update you guys Mm. poison pals as to what the heck was going on that is so fascinating this only happened like last week or last tuesday yeah i don't know if you can recall can cyanotoxins lead to like i just assumed if you drank poor quality fresh water Mm -hmm. that you would have like diarrhea you know like diarrhea and then you'd become dehydrated um right yeah and I think, I mean, I could be wrong, and I agree, Megan, we should probably touch base with Allie on this, um, yeah. but I do I do remember her saying, like, you, I don't think humans can necessarily die from it. Like, I think you would have to drink copious amounts of that lake water, and it just happens mm. to have, like, a lot of toxins in that, you know, sample that you drink, right. but I do know for pets, that threshold is a lot lower for them to reach that fatality yeah. mark, so it, something that kills all four of them. And not mm-hmm. not leaving any signs or symptoms is super, super eerie. I know. I mean, okay, yeah. Like, I mean, I'm assuming in this day and age, uh, tox reports, they'll check the blood for heavy metal poisoning, but I don't know. I have no idea, to be <clears throat> honest. I mean, I'm hoping yeah. that they do a thorough tox screening. Potentially, if they're thinking mining, they might. Yeah. They might yeah. look at that, but I have no idea. So 
I was yeah. just looking at the most re- the recent, like the latest and greatest on that one, and it doesn't seem like they have come to any proper yeah. conclusion as to what's going on. That's, that's just really, yeah. really horrible. That's a really sad, because I'm like officially reading the NPR story you just yeah. referenced, and it is like like a whole, it's like a young family, it and is. then they, they go out for the trip, and they at least like one person or a family member knows they're out there, and then they don't yeah. return when they're supposed to. Like, that's so scary and so it's sad. so scary. Yeah, like, because I recently went camping, and I know one of my friends back in San Diego is like, hey, you never know what happens like or what could happen and he's like mm-hmm. i don't want to like you know come across as overprotective but like you just never know so he's like yeah i'll be waiting for your text on the day yeah. that you're supposed to be back and if i don't hear from from you a certain time that's when i'll be worried and i am like wow, that's yeah. totally valid yeah because that's yeah this is a really really sad story but also it's really like, sad yeah i didn't know that that happened so thank you for sharing yeah, yeah. Uh, in kind of on that note, this is unrelated to poisons or anything like that. But when, whenever I used to go hiking or, um, on these trails, I remember specifically when I went to Oregon and I did a few of these hikes, there were signs of this missing girl of like, Oh, have you seen this girl? She's been missing. Mm. She like went Mm -hmm. missing on that hike. And unfortunately that was a very common theme that I was seeing when we did any of the trails around Oregon. Because, you know, these are pretty large trails. It is so gorgeous. And I'm sure there's a lot of avid hikers in that area. And sometimes the pull to want to go off path is very strong. I think that's when these things happen. But I often wonder, I'm like, what happens to these people? I'm like, how do you go so off path that you're just lost forever? You know, that, and that happens a lot all over the world. Like, where do these people go i i mean i'm sure there's must be an obvious answer that i'm not thinking of right now but that's just something i've always thought about this is just okay one more little side story Mm -hmm. since we're talking about hiking and getting lost um yeah my dad had shared with me a story about this was recent for him yeah but he visited my uncle aka his brother up in redding area so my uncle lives in a small town in Redding County called Fortuna. I think it's mm-hmm. in Redding County, but it's up there, right? North, North yeah. California. And I've, as children, my sister and I visited that uncle and he would actually take us mushroom hunting in the woods oh, because fun. that's where, that's what you do out there. The weather's perfect for finding mushrooms and the yeah. old growth. So that's something that I really loved. But anyway, I think it was like this year, my dad went to visit and they decided to go mushroom hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, I think my dad went with their father as well, who's, you know, he's he's up there in age. Like, my grandpa's pretty old now. Mm-hmm. But what they did was my uncle was like, hey, I'm just going to ch- check a little bit longer to see if I can find any mushrooms in this forest. You guys wait in, like, our designated picnic area where mm-hmm. we agreed to meet up, right? Yeah. And so apparently my uncle goes into the forest. Oh, no. And they they had agreed on a time. Like, if we don't see you by a certain time, we'll come looking for you, right? Yes. So yes. so 30 minutes pass and the designated meetup time passes. So my dad is like, okay, Grandpa, you know what we need to do? We need to get in the car and we need to start driving up and down the road that is bordering the forest. Because okay. what you're supposed to do, apparently, and my my uncle, who is officially a mountain man at this point living in that area, <laughs> yeah, what course. you're supposed to do is if you get lost in the woods, you try to listen for cars mm-hmm. and you try to find the road, the highway. Yeah. And once you find the highway or whatever ro- local road, you just start to walk 
any direction and at some point someone will find you so yeah. i just thought it was a very fascinating story because sure enough my dad was like okay grandpa let's get in the car and we're gonna start driving and they drove literally for a mile like away from the designated picnic spot and they had their car windows down so they drove for a mile going pretty slow mm-hmm. and then f- suddenly my dad like on the wind heard Michael, Michael, oh my God. and in his rear view mirror, he sees my <gasps> uncle, Dave, uh, uncle Dave, like pop out of the woods and like waving his hands. And he had, yeah, sure enough, he had gotten lost. And just as they were passing, he found the road. And I was like, wow. damn, that is some survival. Dude. Cause he, it was like walking into the forest for two minutes turned yeah. into an hour long. That... He just got lost. He just got lost in the woods. That's so yeah. scary. That is so <clears throat> scary to me. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! Yep. There's a okay. No, we're stopping. <laughs> okay, okay. We'll, we'll move forward. We'll move we'll forward. Move forward. <laughs> okay. So yeah, my story has nothing to do with what we just talked. Okay, about. it's totally okay. none of the above. But we can get into it now. <laughs> yeah, get into it. Yeah, get into it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys. If you guys don't know that song, it's by Doja Cat. I feel like most of our listeners probably know <laughs> by now. <laughs> okay. Okay. Harini. It is your turn today to pick your poison. What's it going to be? Okay, guys. Today, it's a little bit disordered. But there's a method to the madness. So bear with me. I really like the story personally. And actually, this story that I'm about to tell you guys is one of the stories, along with the Tylenol poisonings, that I originally had thought of when I thought of doing this podcast in general. So... And on that note, it's sort of similar or has a similar vibe to the Tylenol poisonings. So before I get started, let me talk about my sources. So I got my sources from NCBI, The Guardian, The Conversation, an article from Northwestern's, um, I think it's their journal, it's called The Helix, and then Wiki. The Helix, what a nice little journal name. I know, The Helix. Yeah, that's that's a good one. That's pretty smooth and suave. I like it. <laughs> yeah, 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 I like that. Also, sort of, sort of, I would say this story piggybacks off the amphetamine pervitin story about World War II and Hitler. Okay. It has some veins from that. Okay. Okay. All right. So this story begins in 1953. We are post-World War II, putting those years behind us. But it is also a pretty traumatic time, I would say. Like, there's still lingering feelings about the war, the two wars that we had. Many people had sleepless nights that plagued the world. And World War II got people hooked on tranquilizers and sleeping pills. Hmm. The 50s and 60s, man, like that was the pill popping era. Yeah. And then the 80s were the snorting era. <laughs> <laughs> they just took those same pills and crushed it up. Yeah, they got smarter about how to (laughs) ingest these pills. Um, No, 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 don't don't listen to that boy's pills. Okay. At at this time, this was an interesting little fact, but at at this time, one out of seven Americans took one of these, so either the tranquilizers and sleeping pills or both regularly, which Mm. honestly is not unlike today, to be quite honest. Mm. I I see how many scripts I fill at the pharmacy when I was doing that. There's so many people on sleeping meds. Like, my Mm. God. Okay. The demand for sedatives was even higher in Europe, which makes sense just because of the aftermath of World War II. That was their epicenter. But there was an obvious downside to taking these meds. They are addictive and of high abuse potential. 
I was just going to ask because yeah. you mentioned how it's not that different today. Like you literally fill out, you know, the prescriptions for these sleeping aids. And mm. I was just going to ask, like, is there any sort of like anthropological medical studies that talk about why we might still be so reliant on sleep aids and why I ask like my brain goes to like with the boom of technology we have a lot more Mm. exposure to blue light and like you know we're looking at tv and screens at night which we now know does impact how your brain kind of settles down when you start to go to sleep (laughs) and like I definitely know I feel wired after watching tv until like my eyes close (laughs) but like do you like uh, is there studies like longitudinal studies on that um oh yeah mm-hmm. honestly megan if you can think of it there's a study on it okay really like i i don't know off the top of my head of like a specific study but yes mm-hmm. there's there's so many sleep studies being done yeah. and every angle every which way i would be curious to look into that myself um yeah. but just like anecdotally I think this is obvious, but this is mm. something that we just learn in school is like, oh, what are good sleep habits? Like, how do you help people? Because mm. from a drug perspective, we don't want people to be on sedatives if we can avoid it. You know, mm. there's a lot of people who have insomnia. That's for sure. But if, mm-hmm. if we can, which just sounds counterintuitive as a pharmacist, but we want to try to get you off your meds if possible mm. Um, mm. and just maintain things through a healthy lifestyle or non-farm interventions yeah. but if you have to be on it then that's where we have to be like okay let's make sure you're on the best regimen possible mm. for your okay. body you know so okay. whenever we talk about this stuff we always start first with how is your sleep schedule like what do you do right before bed here's what you should mm-hmm. do so we, we always talk about that first and just coming from that I'm like even yesterday dude I'm pretty like wired just because I have a lot of things in preparation for the wedding and this and that. So I know Mm -hmm. I'm pretty, it's hard for me to fall asleep right away, which usually is not a problem for me. And I noticed that like I'll watch something right before bed and it just makes me so wired. But then I started reading a book before bed and I just fall asleep naturally without even realizing it through the whole night. Mm -hmm. It's so different. It's like 180 difference. Yeah. Which is like, we all know it, but it's hard to, it's hard to put our phones away when we're in bed. Let's be honest. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You put a book in my hand. <laughs> it could be middle of the day. Put a book in my hand and sit me on the couch. <laughs> I'm out in three seconds. Yes. <laughs> you you just read the, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a book is the best sleep aid. It truly, wow. truly is. I'm sh- like, I would love to see like a, an actual scientific study where there's a control and then there's people who read books and people who watch TV or whatever and people who take yeah. sleep aids or whatever. Right. I'm telling you, the book readers are out first. They are. I'm telling you. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. <laughs> Don't even need to do the study. We just know. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Well, okay. So go, go ahead. ahead. You were gonna say oh, something? I was just going to say, um, well, thanks for like uh, giving some insight on how as a pharmacist, like that's, mm-hmm. that's actually how you guys approach these things. It's, it's like uh, you'd rather them not be on sleep aids if they can help it um yeah yeah uh because i was gonna ask like you know what's your opinion on that like and what is the industry like in terms of um because i'm sure there's in terms of like marketing and consumerism yeah i'm sure the sleep aid industry is a booming and i could see how some people would be like let's you know just keep pushing these um no totally i mean the companies that do make them i'm sure they do like valium ambien like they're all the Mm -hmm. rage but i mean 
I'm not part of those companies. I guess me. Yeah. That's why I have that bias. But even then, like I almost would feel like sick to my stomach knowing how mm-hmm. many s- prescriptions would come through that pharmacy for mm. the sleeping pills and for pain meds. Yeah. And it's like yeah. high quantities. And these people get like when you hear about horror stories of people abusing their pharmacists or like the staff mm-hmm. at the pharmacy, it's for these meds. Right. If they're not getting their pain meds on on time or they're asking for them early and they're pissed off about it because they we're mm-hmm. not we're not legally allowed to give it to them early but right. i've had people women scream at me on the phone women and men scream at me on the phone yeah it's just so sad you know but yeah. that's that's my personal opinion gotcha and you tend to find them more in the wealthier areas oh yes <laughs> there's definitely a trend um, there i was in my own yeah. head i was like conducting my own little study <laughs> Is it, is it, ex- uh, now I'm just like, I'm, I'm literally asking question after question. You're like, no, you're never going to get to your story. But like, <laughs> but like, that's just, that's the stereotype, right? It's like true. when you're saying all this, the moment I hear, oh, I'm giving people Ambien, Valium, whatever, like any sleep aid, the stereotype is like wealthy white women who are mm-hmm. ho- just homemakers and they 100%. just need to like sedate themselves. Right. That's the stereotype. <laughs> But I'm so you're you're saying this is true. But in my head, I'm like, is it is it because it's the accessibility like they can afford these drugs? And so that's why it's good. Like, like what mm-hmm. is going on in that culture, in that mm-hmm. lifestyle where you is it like, can you really not sleep or is it just yeah. it's just numbing? It's a sedation. You know what I mean? So is, I'm not I'm not. Yeah. It's rhetor. Those are all rhetorical sure. questions for for people who do fall into those boxes of like higher socioeconomic status possibly female you know mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. As, uh, they're the they don't they're they don't work they're staying at home while their partner is the breadwinner you know what i mean like that sort of absolutely. thing absolutely yeah like the top yeah. three wealthy drugs are like ambien valium not top three but like ambien valium mm-hmm. like vicodin and then viagra <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I'm not and kidding. It's it's and a little combo a, and a little cocoa on the side. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my. God. <laughs> all right, all right. Continue, yeah. continue. Okay, okay. So October 1959, there are some neurologists out in Germany. So this is all taking place in Germany. I should should have started with that. Mm-hmm. Then we'll traverse the world. Okay. Okay. So we're starting okay. in Germany. It's 1959, October, my favorite goddamn month of the year. And it's coming up. It's coming up. <laughs> Get into it, yeah. <laughs> Get into it, yeah. <laughs> uh, just skip September. Okay. Um, yeah. So a lot of neurologists in Germany, they were seeing several patients who complained of numbness in their hands and feet, and then pain mm. as well from nerve mm. inflammation. And they don't know what's causing it. Like, okay, mm. like that's bizarre. Then came a whole wave of reportings of children deformities in 1960 oh. that was reported at a German pediatric conference. But at this conference, they did not suggest a cause. Like they didn't say like, oh, these were happening because of X, Y, and Z, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They were confuzzled. So a uh, question. So mm-hmm. these deformities that they're talking about, this is like, early developmental stages of childhood they noticed a wave of children born in the same year that are having deformities is that mm-hmm. and okay. bad okay. ones too i'll get into more gotcha. of the, like, specifics but they're pretty bad okay. deformities yeah okay yes so then 27 more cases popped up of infants with deformities to their arms hands legs feet and internal mm. organs mm. It, they didn't know the exact cause but 
it was scary enough and there was frequent enough for there to be a public announcement of a potential contagious disease epidemic. Mm. The natural first thought from the medical community was that it's probably genetic, but Mm -hmm. with how sudden these deformities appeared and the diverse physical presentations, they were able to rule that out pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Their second thought was that it was probably environmental, maybe from nuclear radiation or chemical spill. Mm -hmm. But what it actually was, was a drug called thalidomide. Hmm. Do we know thalidomide? Does that sound familiar? Does thalidomide have anything to do with thallium? Because it has T-H-A-L-L in it. (laughs) You know, that is a very smart observation, but no. (laughs) Okay, that's too bad because my brain, right right when you said like, oh, they're having pins and needles in their extremities as like I literally recorded last right. night that like thallium causes that but you know what a whole <laughs> bunch of other things cause pins and needles in your extremities so it's Anyways, true I had to ask no no you're you know what as I was saying that I was like Megan's gonna ask me if they're <laughs> if they're similar <laughs> you already knew, already knew. <laughs> uh, I knew I knew so mm. what is thalidomide and like why was it so popular at the time when thalidomide hit the market, it had a huge appeal because it was the only non-barbiturate sedative. So most sedatives at this time, I would say, were called barbiturates, which are very sed- uh, sedating and so sedating that it's part of the cocktail for, I don't know what the proper term for it, but one of two of those drugs that they use for that is a barbiturate because it's just so freaking strong. Yeah. Got it. Were you thinking of the term like lethal injection? Is that what you were going for? Yes. Or like... Yes. Okay, yes. Okay. That was yeah. what I was looking for. Lethal injection. Thank you, Megan. So they give you the barbiturate before that lethal injection. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So they do. No. So they give you our, bar- our barbiturate to, I think, sedate you. And mm-hmm. then they give you, I believe it's an injection of potassium chloride, like a really high amount. I could be totally botching this. I should know this. Yeah. Um, so sorry, Poison Pals, if I'm wrong on that, fact check me. But I believe they do the sedating part first, obviously, so that you're like mm-hmm. asleep and you don't really feel the pain of it, of the injection. Yeah. Do we know so, that for sure? I never have looked into it. Do we know for sure that they, like, they don't feel pain when they are executed? I'm so curious. You do not have to answer that. I'm just thinking yeah. out loud. Yeah. I can always Google it while you're talking. <laughs> Yes. Anyways. Actually, please do, because I'm kind of curious. Yeah. Like, I don't want to get that wrong, because that's a pretty big right. thing to get wrong. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. So, uh, like I said, so thalidomide hit the market. Very huge appeal, because it was the only non-barbiturate sedative known at the time. And that was really important, because, again, like I said in the beginning, sedatives were very habit-forming and, and has high abuse potential. And mm-hmm. it does not have the hangover effect that most sedatives usually have. And honestly, like you can even get that from like a Benadryl, like a, anything that makes you drowsy. Maybe post pals, you might have noticed that the next day you still kind of feel drowsy and mm-hmm. it has like that bleeding over effect into the next day, which is not nice to have. Mm. So thalidomide did not have that. Okay. Also around this time... There's a huge drug development boom, starting with penicillin in the 1940s. Researchers created and discovered tons of broad-spectrum antibiotics that they collected from soil samples from around the world that could be made in a lab very cheaply. Infectious diseases that literally plagued the world for centuries were now being treated and cured in a week or less of time. Mm. Huge, huge uh, advances in medicine. The excitement around medicines were sky high, so much so that this time in the 40s and 50s were called the medicinal golden age. Mm. Sedatives were all the rage. 
for all people. I wouldn't say I wouldn't even go so far to say as children. Like I, children, as you said in yesterday's episode, Megan, like they were walking up to the pharmacy and grabbing all kinds of shit. So yeah. I wouldn't even be surprised if parents like gave sedatives to their kids if they were like ha- having trouble sleeping or whatever it is. Right, right. So really went across for all people, including pregnant women. Mm. Mm-hmm. So pregnant women used to be medicated with sedatives and stimulants. I'm sure Megan. You knew this. And this was something mm-hmm. that I didn't really like. I kind of knew about it in the back of my mind, but I, I feel like my mind blacked it out because I was like, this isn't this isn't good medicine <laughs> where they just like black you out when you're giving birth. The mom is not really coherent during her own labor process. She's just knocked mm. out. And then when she mm-hmm. wakes up, she has a baby in her hands, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. controversial, but that's what they used to do back in the day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like in Mad Men, they highlighted that ever so slightly oh they did yeah because when uh january jones's character gives mm-hmm. birth i'm pretty sure she's like way looped out like she's like yeah is like bleary eyed and like who is in my arms but i'll have to rewatch that yeah i, I just could be pulling that out my butt no so. i i totally believe it because that was a very common practice back then mm-hmm. um in 1956 there's a study at mount sinai in new york the hospital in mount sinai they studied mm-hmm. 50 patients who were on a healthy cocktail of sedatives, hypnotics, mm-hmm. and tranquilizers while giving birth. So all of these. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Out of the study Dang. came data that supported sedative use as a suitable cocktail or medication in pregnancy to treat sleeplessness, morning sickness, and severe nausea and vomiting. Yeah. As I mentioned earlier, the scientific community began to come down hard on the use of sedatives or anyone in general except for severe and unique cases because, again, of that abuse potential. So they really didn't like... Like, you know, obviously at that point, a lot of people were using it, but people shouldn't be on this. And I believe the medical community was aware of that. They knew that Mm -hmm. people were abusing this drug. They knew it wasn't the best and healthiest drug to be on on a regular basis. It's meant to be used on an as-needed basis. Like, oh, maybe like once a month, I can't really sleep. I'm super anxious. Let me just take this pill and mm-hmm. then call it a day. But these people are like mm-hmm. taking this shit like every single day. So wow. they really were like, you know, we need to find a better alternative to this sedative use. Mm-hmm. So that's why thalidomide was very, very popular. Thalidomide actually first came onto the market in Germany in 1957 as an over-the-counter medication for the grip in Germany, aka the flu. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what is that? <laughs> they used but to now the grip, right? Yeah. yeah, that makes sense because, like, I've heard that as a colloquialism mm-hmm. as well. It just wasn't. I was like, you have to give me more information <laughs> yeah, for me yeah, to yeah. know what that is. AKA okay, the flu. So okay, okay. Studies show that thalidomide was a safe and effective alternative as a sedative, but it mm-hmm. wasn't being tested on pregnant women. Mm. So when you first test out a drug, there's gonna be a lot of like pharmacy stuff in here that i'll just be educating you guys on but so when you first test out a drug you put it through clinical trials right like you first want to see does this shit even work so there are four phases of a clinical trial phase Mm -hmm. zero is preclinical so you're testing this on animals you're not even going to test on humans yet because if it doesn't pass phase zero it's never going to get tested on humans which makes sense Mm -hmm. right if it does pass, if it shows good efficacy in animal studies, then you can move on to phase one, which is where you test the drug in a small population of healthy humans, maybe like 20 to 30 people max, to assess a safety profile. Is mm-hmm. this drug safe? First and foremost, safe. We don't even care about efficacy at this stage. Just is it safe? 
Mm-hmm. If it's safe, then you're free to move on to phase two. So you have a slightly larger population of humans who are of the disease state that you are wanting to target. For example, if you're trying to target migraines, you want to make sure you're treating people who actually get migraines, right? The goal of phase two is to determine the best dose of the medication. Mm. Okay, 20 milligrams, we see that's the best dose. When you hit 30, like you start to get side effects and it doesn't have that much better of, a, of an efficacy profile. So 20 mm-hmm. milligrams sounds great. Yep. Mm-hmm. Then you can move on to phase three. So these are the trials that you tend to hear about in the public. Like when you hear about the um, COVID vaccine and the trials, you're, you're hearing about phase three trials typically, typically. So these are the biggest population of patients of the target population. They're across multiple hospitals, multiple clinics, and Mm. they're usually done over like a three to five, maybe even longer period. Mm. This is the trial that the FDA will mainly look at to give the drug the stamp of the FDA approval. Then phase four, this comes after the drug is already approved, is sometimes called Mm. like real world data or post-marketing surveillance. And they want to assess how the drug actually works in the real world. Like right now in the hospitals, if you're going to take this uh, migraine medication, does it actually work for you um, five Mm -hmm. to 10 years down the line? Mm -hmm. Okay. So of course, with thalidomide, there's nothing different about it. They do preclinical tests, phase zero. So they tested on animals first. And the data Mm. show that the drug had very low toxicity. We've Mm. talked about LD50 before. So at that time, the gold standard for tox tests involved dosing mice until half the population of the mice died. That's literally what the LD50 was. Right, right. Makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So for thalidomide, there were no toxic effects found at even 5,000 milligrams per kilogram of body weight, which is pretty hefty. That's a lot. That's a lot. Like Tylenol, Mm -hmm. you can't do that with Tylenol, which is over the counter, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So pretty good safety profile. So from here, thalidomide, which was now called the brand name of Contergen, they would Mm -hmm. advertise the drug with this FDA approval, quote unquote, to overcome sleeping pill abuse. Use one to two tablets of Contergen Forte. (laughs) And... In January 1957, the company began marketing the drug for daytime use to reduce stress and anxiety. And then Contergen Forte, which would be the stronger version as a sleep aid. The drug was advertised as being completely safe for everyone, including children and women who are pregnant. Mm. The develop- that- Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am just chuckling. Like, like, I don't know if any of the po- Poison Pals, if you just like heard what she said, like... <laughs> Think about how no, like think about how many um, pharma commercials that you see on like TV, cable, Mm -hmm. whatever, where they always have to give the disclaimers of if you're pregnant, blah 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 blah, blah, like side effects include blah 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 blah. Right. I, I it's almost like a fantasy world to even think of a time where a drug was literally advertised as this is a hundred percent safe. Yeah. No side effects. Pregnant woman (laughs) can absolutely take this drug. That's just so sus. Like it's so coming sus. from a coming from a time where now everything is just like oh my take God, yeah. at some risk, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That is like, absurd. It just reminds like when you're talking about it, like this <laughs> ideal idyllic world. I think about that meme of that little kid that's just like, oh, <laughs> like everything's amazing. The little the blonde kazoo, child, the kazoo yeah. kid, yeah. yeah, the zoo kid, yeah. <laughs> this drug is great. Okay, um, yeah. So it's just kind of ridiculous, like including children and women who are pregnant. The devil, yeah. the developers of the drug were so confident that they said. Quote, they couldn't find a dose high enough to kill a rat. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, okay, well, 
I would have gone with elephants. I would have gone with elephants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was like, well, that's a small animal. (laughs) But anyway, I get it. I understand. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So by 1960, the Lenoir skyrocketed in popularity. It was marketed in 46 countries and had sales that almost matched those of aspirin. Of course, mm. aspirin is very, very popular. So that's seeing a lot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When a drug is this successful, what typically tends to happen is drug companies try to find alternative uses for it. Mm. So I don't know if you guys think about this a lot, Poison Pals, uh, but maybe it's just me from my background. But a lot of drugs are used for multiple disease states. It's very common, actually. So Australian obstetrician, Dr. Willem McBride, he found that thalidomide also helped alleviate morning sickness. In addition mm. to like sedation and sleep, uh, sleeplessness. So very quickly from the FDA perspective. So obviously I talked to you about this. So drugs go through this rigorous process to get FDA approval. And when you go through this approval process, you have to write in the application what disease state you want this drug to be approved for. I told you about the migraines and things like that. So I'll give an example for spironolactone. It's mm-hmm. a drug for heart failure or hypertension. So right there, you'll mm-hmm. see it's approved for two different disease states. But drugs can also be used off-label, meaning the drug is not FDA approved for that exact indication. But per your own doctor's discretion, they can prescribe you that drug for something mm-hmm. else that is not yep. technically FDA approved. For for okay. example, spironolactone, it does not have to be used for hypertension or heart failure if they deem it appropriate they can prescribe it to you for acne so a lot Mm, of women mm -hmm. a lot of young women like they're on spironolactone help their acne yeah like um more simply but you can always correct me but this is my understanding Mm -hmm. like some women might be on birth control not because they have any problems with their menstrual cycle they just have maybe skin that needs like they want to you know, cure their acne in some way. And mm-hmm. so some people just take birth control for acne purposes. 100%. Yeah. 100%. And as long as you have that discussion with your provider and, and they sign off on it, there's really no issues there, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Off-label prescribing is very common, but the thing is there are risks with that. Number one being, of course, it's not been through the FDA process for that particular indication. And two, mm-hmm. it's not been through those years worth of clinical trials, that phase zero through phase three worth of clinical trials for that specific indication, which enables you to fully understand all the benefits of the drug, but also all of the risks and adverse effects of that drug. So in 1961, Dr. McBride started to deliver babies with severe birth defects. Mm. And he's like, uh, what the heck? Like he doesn't, he sees all these babies with these defects and he's like, this is bizarre. This has not Mm -hmm. happened to me before. And then he slowly starts to think, could it be because of the thalidomide? Mm. What do you, um, do you have an idea as to why he even considered that in the first place? Do you know what I mean? Like what, what kind of gave him that thought of like, oh, is it thalidomide? I think because of his, just his own practice, like he only deals with pregnant women, obviously as an obstetrician. Mm. For people who don't know what an obstetrician is, it's the person Mm. that delivers babies all day. Or like almost kind of akin to your gynecologist. So he's only working with this specific patient population. And he was only seeing women giving birth to deformed babies. Like he wasn't seeing it in anything else, really. Like he wasn't seeing adults like suddenly having like issues with their internal organs and things like that. And I'm assuming these pregnant women who are coming in and, um, and giving birth on their medical record, it the 
one similarity is like, oh, this woman was on thalidomide. Mm-hmm. This other woman who also gave birth to a babe with a deformity also was on thalidomide. Like, I'm assuming yes, that's probably yes. how the process was. Okay. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I'm trying to actually find it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly what you said. So Dr. Mm-hmm. McBride, he's over in, I think I said Australia. Like, he's over mm-hmm. in Australia. Drug was created in Germany and, like, coming out of Germany. Like I said, around 46 countries had this FDA approval. It was happening all over the world, essentially. Mm-hmm. And the doctors that were seeing these deformities, they sort of go down their line of inquiry like you were asking, Megan. And they eventually mm-hmm. come to a population of mothers. So they ask these mothers, what drugs do they take during their pregnancy? And soon mm. they make that connection where these moms remember, the, all these rom- moms remember taking thalidomide while pregnant to ease their mm-hmm. morning sickness, which it did. Mm. And I will uh. note, the moms did not have any side effects or issues like they were completely themselves. fine themselves yeah. yes on the little mind how interesting just their babies which yeah, is very very bizarre yeah yeah mm-hmm. so they make that connection very quickly or once they talk to these moms they make that connection very quickly and they ask for the immediate withdrawal of thalidomide from the market so what they found was that the drug interfered with the baby's normal development and that too at a very early stage if these women were taking thalidomide in their first trimester to ease their morning sickness. So it was carrying all the way throughout to the birth of the baby. So these babies Mm. were born with phocomelia, which I think is how you say it, which is a rare Mm. disease that causes the bones and the extremities to be missing altogether or deformed. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Very, very severe. These babies were being born with short, absent, or flipper-like limbs. A German newspaper reported 161 cases of deformed babies due to thalidomide, and this caused, again, the leading makers of the drug to stop distribution in Germany and then eventually all over the world. Mm. It took some time for this information to, I guess, head over to the U.S. When things happen, I would say, like, it first got FDA approval in Germany, then I would say most of Europe got FDA approval, then the countries in Asia. I would say the U.S. was the last for it to land on the FDA's desk for it to become Mm -hmm. approved. And when it did, the U.S. was putting a lot of pressure on the FDA by the pharmaceutical companies and even within the FDA itself, some of the supervisors to have them approve the lidamide for morning sickness. They wanted it to be approved. This was before, Mm. um, this was as the news was starting to trickle out of these babies getting deformed. Mm. There was one brave woman, FDA inspector Frances Kelsey. She stood firm on her stand saying that, no, I will absolutely not approve this drug, indicating that this application for thalidomide had incomplete and insufficient data on its safety and efficacy in this patient population, a.k.a. pregnant women. Mm-hmm. Another reason why FDA inspector Kelsey was concerned was because there weren't any results available yet from U.S. clinical trials of thalidomide. They were kind of just going based off of the other um, data that was happening across the other, the rest of the world. At mm-hmm. this time, clinical trials didn't require FDA approval, nor did they have oversight by the FDA, which is not the case anymore. You, the FDA mm-hmm. has to approve every single phase of your trials. Mm-hmm. So this sort of blew my mind while reading this because we have come a long way in terms of drug development. During this time, clinical trials for thalidomide consisted of distributing 2.5 million tablets of thalidomide to about 20,000 people across the U.S., including women of childbearing age and pregnant women. Mm. More than 1,000 doctors participated in these trials, but very few tracked their patients after dispensing the drug to them. So not Mm -hmm. really tracking like what's going on with them. Did they incur any side effects? Nothing like that, Mm. which is really, really bad way to 
collect data. But yeah. in 1962, President JFK and the American press praised Frances Kelsey for her work and success in preventing the FDA approval. So the tragedy surrounding thalidomide and Kelsey's wise refusal to approve the drug helped motivate a lot of changes in the FDA, and I'm sure across the world, but I'm kind of focusing on the U.S. right now, so just the FDA. So they passed the Kefauver-Harris Drug Amendments Act in 1962. So this really tightened surveillance on the approval process in the FDA, what drugs are allowed to even be sold in the U.S., and it Mm. required that manufacturers prove that they're both safe and efficacious before they are Mm. even marketed. Now the drug approval process can take 8 to 12 years, honestly, sometimes even 20, involving Mm -hmm. all the way from animal testing to the human trials. It takes a long time to get a drug FDA approved. A lot of companies, pharmaceutical companies, they only have one drug out because it took them 20 years just to get that one drug. And that's why it was such a big deal in the COVID era for us to get a vaccine out within a year. Yeah. Okay. I had a question and I probably already know the answer. I already know the answer, but I'll ask it just because okay. so people can know like my idiotic question. But um, I'm glad that you explained how how things have changed and how things are now with the approval process. I before you ever even said any of that, I was going to jump in and be like, nowadays, Harini, given what had happened with thalidomide, do companies just basically are like, we know it would take a long, like a very extensive longitudinal study to approve any any drug, essentially, especially if there's women out there who are planning on getting pregnant, mm-hmm. tying it specifically to pregnancies. I was going to say, like, do do companies these days just basically be like, we know like we know it's going to take a long time to just to study this. So we're just going to. To, to cut that time, I like to cut that time. We're just going to put on our, our box, a uh, pregnant woman do not take. <laughs> just, no, no. So. But you know what? You laugh, but that's exactly what they do. And unfortunately, it does not cut down the time because uh, it's, it's not even because. So I guess I should explain this better. Like It's not because um, of pregnant women that now the clinical trials are longer it, or the pr- approval process is longer. It has nothing to do yeah. with pregnant women in a sense maybe but yeah. it was just the in general like oh my god there's a realization across the country that was like wow we are not doing this correctly like we're not having yeah. good oversight over these clinical trials in general whether it's yeah. for women pregnant women or not so yeah. it just became like this very stringent process of it has to be like this and very yeah. ordered and systematic and you have to be going by these very highly regulated rules now yeah across the board but to answer your question, yes, they do do that. I have not read one study where it's like mm-hmm. in the inclusion criteria, it's like, oh, they can be pregnant. No, mm. that just doesn't just happen. Like, it's just like, you know, hypothetically, maybe a drug could be like, yeah, you could take it when you're pregnant, but it's like the risk is so high mm-hmm. that of not knowing if that's actually the case that they're just like, we're not even going to even entertain that idea just for, for the most... For the biggest safety net, like just always Absolutely. put, do not take if you're pregnant on everything, on every container. No, it's true. It's true. And, like, yeah. and I'll talk about this a little bit later because there are ways that we get around that now. We don't, we typically don't, I would say 90% of the time um, when we do clinical trials, even in phase three, we don't involve women who are pregnant or even breastfeeding mm-hmm. on Lexicomp or up to date or like some of these medical platforms that we you can pay for. It mm-hmm. has a whole category of drugs. Mm-hmm. So if you look at a drug 
any kind of drug you look it up there will be a pregnancy category and if Mm -hmm. it's pregnancy category a like it's safe and then it goes down and down and down x you absolutely cannot take it it is really harmful for the mom and the baby so there are categories and there definitely are medications out there that are safe for women to take while they're breastfeeding and while they're pregnant but you Mm -hmm. just have to do that due diligence and of course talk to your doctor first before you take anything that's why it's like very especially women who are thinking about getting pregnant and who Mm -hmm. are pregnant be very careful about what you take over the counter and mm-hmm. very much so herbal supplements. There are a lot of herbal supplements that can do some damage without even realizing it. Yeah. Just because it's herbal and natural doesn't mean it's good for you, unfortunately. Yeah. That makes me think of, like, specifically about the herbal thing, that makes me think of there was a... It's either an HBO documentary or it's on Netflix, but it was, it's like an anthology series documentary where they talk about, um, like trends that are so aggressively marketed and people just blindly trust it and like one of the specific episodes was about what is that word the herbal st john's um, word no 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 um, no fuck it's it is a common word you hear it every single freaking day these days no essential oils (laughs) or whatever those are aromatherapy yeah, yeah, like it, the episode was specifically about how aggressively market essential oils oils are being pushed out or were pushed out mm-hmm. and people just trusting them so much. And then like it turns out some people had severe allergic reactions mm-hmm. and then the people that they were buying it from were like, oh, no, you're, you're you know, you're getting this rash. You need to use more. It'll get rid of it. And then oh they're freaking in the hospital. Like, I forget what it's on, but it's either HBO or Netflix. And I vaguely yeah. know what you're talking about. I think it might be Netflix, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll have to watch that, but I haven't watched that yet. Yeah, yeah you just don't I mean, know, that's, man. You just don't know. Well, that's that's the whole point of this cast, like <laughs> this podcast, right? Like drugs, essential oils, herbs, whatever, salt, you know? <laughs> salt. <laughs> it's the, the dosage makes the poison. It's so true. Chocolate, right? Like- anyway well I'm that's that's there. okay this is now going back to our lsd versus shrooms conundrum mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. um and i think this is what one of our listeners who emailed in pointed out is sometimes natural substances can mm-hmm. get more out of hand and are a little scarier to take because mm. there's no proper dosing on it like it doesn't go through like anything over the counter that is herbal like dietary mm-hmm. supplements and herbal supplements they do not go through an FDA approval process. They don't get through. Mm. They don't go through clinical trials. Mm-hmm. That's just not how the U.S. regulates them. They're they're supposed to be unregulated per the U.S. government. Mm-hmm. So we have no idea how these things work in each one of our very unique unicorn bodies. Whereas unlike right. all these drugs, I have to go through the heavy FDA approval process. In many ways, I personally think sometimes it is better to take something mm-hmm. that you know has gone through that process because you know. Mm-hmm. Obviously, everyone is different, but I would yeah. say 98% yeah. of the time, it will work the same way in every single person's body, which is right. a huge feat to to accomplish. And you right. know that it's safe and it's going to have the same effect again and again and again if you take it consistently. Yeah. Whereas with herbal supplements or things that are just not regulated, I'm not saying it's unsafe, but it mm-hmm. can get to a point where it is unclear what the effect might be. Right. And just to keep it objective, because like, I feel like the more and more we've brought on guests and the more we've done research for certain episodes, I just am so much more in the middle in terms of looking at these things, specifically the FDA, like 
Harini is absolutely correct. Like there's a huge benefit to knowing that whatever the FDA has approved has gone through some sort of process where you know like this certain amount is what's going to be effective and it's not you know there's less risk per se right Mm -hmm. as opposed to something that hasn't gone through but that being said you know i think about ali's story about how the fda doesn't even monitor the cyanotoxins in out you know in fresh water sort of thing so it's to be just entirely objective and just you know do your due diligence for yourself, like whatever brings you mm-hmm. peace of mind when you study, the, like look yes, into these yep. things. If you need to take a medicine or if you want to go herbal or whatever. But like the FDA approves really great things. And then they, for some reason, might not approve things that should be approved at the same time. Totally. You know, like totally. So, yeah, the approval process totally aside, like I think it's a great thing that we have the Internet. We have a, there are a ton of resources out there on herbals mm-hmm. that they kind of crowdsource this in the safety and data information. And mm-hmm. you could get to the right answer in other ways. But yeah, yeah. you would just have to do more due diligence because they don't get like that FDA yeah. oversight. That's all. Right, right, right. So obviously this is a huge deal. It's a huge tragedy because these are not small side effects. These are massive, massive mm-hmm. side effects. And I mean, mm-hmm. can you imagine like you are literally, you know, carrying this baby to term for nine months and then you mm-hmm. give birth to your baby and they are so horribly deformed, you know, mm. and this just... It's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. Mm-hmm. Like you, the hell happened? Like, what did I do? You know, it's it's yeah. very traumatic. Traumatic yeah. for both the m- mother and the, the baby, of course. Mm-hmm. So they took the company, I believe the company or maybe the FDA, I don't know, to trial. And so there was a contergent trial in 1968, which ended after two and a half years after 60 experts and 120 witnesses provided reports, testimony, and underwent cross-examination. Hmm. Ultimately, all the charges were dropped and a fund wow. for injured children was established. The court ruled that thalidomide had caused congenital deformities, but this could not be predicted based on testing practices that were common and sanctioned at the time. Mm. There were just and things so, that we did not know. Yeah. yeah. I, okay. I was going to say, like, I, it's a timing thing, right? Like, um, and I'm assuming the charges were dropped because mm-hmm. the people who were on trial or the, you know, the company that's on trial they themselves just did not know like they we didn't have the tech at the time to understand that this could lead Absolutely. to birth defects okay so it's like that is correct because their intent like they it's not like nicotine companies in the 50s right sort right. of thing exactly okay. like yeah, yeah i i would say the companies were equally horrified at this outcome right. um okay. per today's standards they definitely did not do their due diligence but based mm-hmm. on what was common practice at that time they just were doing exactly what they have always done i suppose and mm-hmm. they didn't weren't able to catch it under those regulatory conditions got it aftermath of what happened so mm-hmm. the little use in the 50s and early 60s caused some 10,000 children worldwide to be born with significant birth deformities this story is very famous for all the reasons that i just talked on about for about an hour mm-hmm. But what really drew me to this story is actually the science that came out of it. Because, Megan, you're absolutely correct. Like like you were saying, like I'm shocked that they had the charge dropped, but it must have been something that they did not know at the time. Like They did not have right. the science to understand this. And right. that part of the story is actually very fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know, Poison Pals, if you were thinking this while listening to the story, but when I first heard of this, I was like, how the heck did this work as a great sedative but then also cause these devastating side effects in such a specific population. Mm, Not even mm -hmm. the moms, just the babies, Mm -hmm. right? Like what the heck is going on here? 
So here's the answer. Mm. Mm. <laughs> this is what they discovered. At this time in science, this was not anything that anyone really knew about. You don't mm. know what you don't know, right? Mm-hmm. So now mm-hmm. they discovered this. Thalidomide is an enantiomer. Do we remember that term? I forget. Enantiomer. <laughs> okay, Antimer. great. I'm going to tell you. So, yeah, tell pals, reach in the back of your brain to your Reaching. basic chemistry or to your organic chemistry that you, if you took that class, if you didn't, I'm here for you. I'll tell you what it is. Okay. okay. So when you're looking at a compound's molecular structure, like think that ball and stick figure. Mm-hmm. And an enantiomer is a structure that has a carbon in the center. And then there are two mirror images of the structure. So mm-hmm. almost equivalent to your left and your right hand. And they mm. both swivel around this center carbon. Okay. Does that make sense? You can okay. also go to the thalidomide Wikipedia and it'll show you the molecular structure, which yes. has helped yes. me. <laughs> yes. But that was a great description uh, yes, of it, Yes, do that, please, pals. Yes. <laughs> uh, so if a compound is an enantiomer, that means that they have an S enantiomer and an R enantiomer to, to denote the two parts of that mirror image. Hmm. What they realized was is that the R enantiomer has sedative effects, no safety issues at all. But mm. the S enantiomer is teratogenic as fuck, meaning it is very harmful and potentially fatal to babies. So when, huh. some, when a drug is a teratogen, that mm-hmm. means that indicates it is not meant to be used under any conditions to women who are of um, childbearing age, women mm-hmm. who are pregnant, and women who are breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. Like to the point, so Megan, you brought this up in the Lussie episode where a common mm-hmm. rat poison, also known as warfarin, mm-hmm. warfarin is used as a medication for a blood thinner, used mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. When I was at the hospital on my rotations, my preceptor asked me to wear gloves, like to the point where she's like, you need to wear gloves when you're handling these meds. These mm-hmm. meds were in blister packets. Like they were not mm-hmm. loose pills. They mm-hmm. were in packets. And then I had to label them as teratogenic on every single, mm-hmm. every single pill individually. You have to put that sticker on it mm-hmm. so people know. And I was wearing gloves. There are mm-hmm. many other drugs that are like that. Like chemotherapy, you have to wear gloves, especially women. They actually mm-hmm. make you double up when touching chemo. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not just people who are actually pregnant. It's for people right. like any women who could get pregnant. Right, right. This case completely changed the way that we develop drugs and approve drugs across the world. First Mm. off, you are no longer allowed to trial a drug in its racemic form, meaning the drug is in both its R and S forms. Like both of them Mm -hmm. are in the solution or in the compound. You have Mm -hmm. to prove that you're trialing just one form of the compound. So you either got to choose R, the R enantiomer or the S enantiomer. You cannot do both. Mm -hmm. And you have to prove that that enantiomer that you are trialing is safe. Mm. It also changed how we test drugs in women and pregnant population, of course, because before this, it was not clear at all that the drugs could pass from the mom through to the placenta to affect the baby. Mm. That's exactly what was happening with the thalidomide. It was not yeah. affecting the moms. It was totally fine. The moms were fine, but it was mm-hmm. passing through the placenta to the babies. And that's how they were getting deformed with in vivo. Right. Uh, when, right. And then when they were born, it, the damage yeah. was already done. I was like, a small I'm not saying like oh I totally get why they didn't understand that but like during this time they also didn't uh, just in general they didn't understand how drugs could be transferred to the placenta into the mm-hmm. baby like 
I'm refer- referencing Mad Men again, but again, January Jones's character smoked when she was pregnant, and like exactly that was a thing, you know, like yeah. So, anyways, yeah, in the 50s, 60s, and people would like dip their fingers in whiskey and put it in their baby's mouth to shut them up. So, like, yeah, it's like the whole era, <laughs> the whole era of bed habits. It was the 50s. <laughs> Anything goes. The 50s. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but truly, truly, mm-hmm. 50s and 60s, yeah. but. Yeah, that's the story. That was the whole story. It changes Dude. how we assess safety in a drug during clinical trial. It changed so many things. Like this is a very landmark case in the pharmaceutical yes. or pharmacological medicine world. Yeah. Uh, as always, I'm always Googling what Harini's talking about when she's talking about it to me. And like my mind is so in awe. Like um, one of the I, I, you might have come across this doing your research, but there's a New York Times article about some woman who didn't even re- recognize that she was a thalidomide baby until someone like oh. asked her on the train. I'll I'll read it real quick, but uh, this is all to say like as I'm as Harini's been talking and I'm researching, like I'm like holy shit, like why I'm sure in like the in the healthcare world and pharmaceuticals. And maybe people who grew up in the late 60s, early 70s, you know, they know about this as something that was big and it was like a huge scandal and it changed how we approve drugs and stuff. But this is the first time I'm hearing of it. And I'm like, why is that? (laughs) Is it because I'm just like ignorant? But like my parents never talked to me about that. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. so, Mm -hmm. but anyway, this article from the New York Times, I'll just read like the first paragraph and a half okay so it starts like this it goes well the article is called the unseen survivors of thalidomide want to be heard and it's written by katie thomas and it starts like this the man on the bus was staring at her carolyn farmer 17 noticed him as she closed the leon uris novel exodus and gathered her things it was 1979 and she knew what it was like to have strangers gawk at her she had been born with shortened arms and fingers missing on each hand are you a thalidomide baby? He asked as she waited mm. to get off. Confused, she said no. But on the walk home in her close-knit suburb of St. Paul, Minnesota, she repeated this word she had never heard before. Thalidomide. <laughs> and then it continues. Uh, this, is the, this is the last sentence I'll read. Thalidomide, a sedative sold by a German drug maker, was said to relieve everything from anxiety to morning sickness, but it led to perhaps the greatest pharmaceutical scandal of all time. And that blows my mind mm-hmm. because when I think of pharmaceutical scandals, I think about how nicotine was marketed. I think about the Tylenol scare. Um, mm-hmm. Those are like the main two that I consider. I've never yeah. heard of thalidomide. Yeah. And then there's one more thing that piqued my interest that I will be looking into in Harini if, if I figured, cause you did the story, you might be interested, mm-hmm. but um, there's an article in the guardian and it's actually about movies. And the, the article is titled Spotlight Isn't Bad. Spotlight with, you know, Amy Adams, Mark Ruffalo, et cetera, et cetera, which is a fantastic <laughs> film. Fucking love that yeah. film. But the article is titled Spotlight Isn't Bad, but a film on the thalidomide scandal is the real must-see journalism drama. And that film is called Attacking the Devil, Devil Harold Evans and the Last Nazi War Crime. And I'm oh. really intrigued because you had mentioned what? something about like Nazis, but like, yeah, didn't really fully connect, I guess. So I'm like, what yeah. is this documentary about? Because it's about the litamide, but now they're like oh. referencing Nazis. So I'm like, oh, like, Whoa. like, was so, it like, was it like a whole ploy? Like, the I last mean, I don't know. I mean, the Nazis. 
that is what I'm assuming this title's trying to get at. But it's clearly the title's trying to like draw you in to actually watch the film. Yeah, of course. For now, yeah. I will remain objective and <laughs> have no opinions. And also understanding that like any sort of documentary does have a certain biases. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. But I, I think I'm going to watch it because yeah, I just too. love Spotlight. And so if this person's like, if you really like Spotlight, you should watch this. Yeah. I'm going to watch this. Okay. that's. I'm yeah. glad you brought that up. I did see that article. I did not click as one of my resources. But yeah I'm, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. And I also am glad you brought up the the word that they chose of scandal. Uh-huh. Like the little my scandal. Because I always thought that was like when I was going through my research, and I had known about the story beforehand. My dad actually has, he would talk about this story all the time. And I do think it's because he is also in like the sciences and the industry as well. It's just something that mm. he knew about when he was doing his lab research and things like that. Yeah. And he never talked about it as like a scandal. It is scandalous in the way that like it was very, um, I guess, high profile and a lot of bad shit came out of it but mm-hmm. i would say i would use more the term tragedy because it was a mm. tragedy all around like of course tragedy yeah. of the babies tragedy for the moms and tragedy for the scientific and medical community like that this was such a big letdown like that something as tragic as this mm-hmm. was what led to us to what where we are today you know like something yeah, so yeah. sinister and horrible had to happen for us to have such huge progress yeah. which was very needed but it's just horrible yeah. how it had to happen um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I feel like we, I have to catch myself a lot of times. I, I There are times where we will literally shit on how things were handled centuries ago. And then I have to be like, but, but they walked so we could <laughs> run. Yes, <laughs> like, exactly. Like it's so fucked because the honest, those, those people who are, were impacted by thalidomide, like they, they were born with those defects. Mm-hmm. There's some of the like some of them are very much well and alive today. They've lived yep. through to old age, sort of. Well, old is a kind of a harsh. They they wouldn't be old if they're in the sixties. They're like my dad's age, like fifty something, right? But like <laughs> yeah. they've they've lived their lives. Fuck, I forgot where I was going with that. But long story short, I'm just like on some level, it's like I have to look at how these methods were handled in the past, almost kind of like with some sort of sympathy because I'm like, if they didn't make these mistakes, Mm -hmm. we wouldn't be where we are today. And that sucks because it's at the expense of these people who are still well alive and have these defects. But yeah, it is. It's like, it's really sad, but it's just like, it is what it is. Like that's, that's sucky. But yeah, I do not envy the people who were on that court or the judge who had Mm -hmm. to preside or the, what do you call it? The, um, the jury, that had to decide mm-hmm. how that court case went because that was mm-hmm. that's a hard one. This phrase is talked about a lot in my work is you don't know what you don't know. So just try to learn as much as you can as you go. Mm-hmm. But that's why you rely on your mentors. You rely on other people's like, hey, you don't know what you don't know. So let me try to teach you or let me try to like right. let you know what's out there. So that way you can kind of pick and choose or decide what you like to do, etc. But that yeah. applies to anything in life. If you don't know if you don't know it, you're not going to know to look for it or know how right. to combat that, you know? How do you punish someone for that? Like, yes, there needs to be justice to be done because at the end of the day, a horrible outcome still happened and there mm-hmm. are still people who are living and breathing these consequences mm-hmm. for the rest of their lives, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Like, how do, you, how do you provide justice on all angles? It's tricky. Right. It's very tricky. Right. 
I have one last question specifically about the developmental defects. Um, if you mm-hmm. were, if you are, you know, Poison Pal, if you go and just Google search the litamide, majority of the photos that pop up ha- are the infants, you know, born with the defects. It doesn't really actually show the drug that much. And so mm-hmm. just going through like a cursory Google search of the litamide and looking at these images, it's clear that there are some infants that had even more severe defects and others yes. who maybe had less of, a, you know, less of an impact. And my question was, uh, does this does the severity of the defect um is it tied to how much a mother was taking thalidomide mm. like if let's say a mother just took like one to three th- like pills during her whole pregnancy correct like how much would that have impacted the fetus you know yeah, as opposed yeah. to a mother who's taking it every single oh, day oh yeah you're yeah you're absolutely right megan like mm-hmm. just like with anything the more you take it the more it's going to just accumulate in your body. And where is that going to go? Gotcha. It's just going right. to go to that goes to the baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that is wild. This is really fascinating. Like, um, honestly, so thankful that you did this story. Uh, because, because it's like, uh, it goes without saying, but I will say it. Like, it is a true talks story that yeah. like, um, sometimes I forget because my last couple stories have literally had to, uh, does deal with, homicidal poisonings yeah so i'm on like that wavelength but this is really fascinating and it's kind of sad like again like the people who were responsible of pushing out this drug at the end of the day the intent we can assume was not there to act like cause harm but Mm -hmm. like twenty thousand you u.s civilians like Mm -hmm. were tested you know you know using this drug and i i guess i'm just trying to say like uh I'm having this weird dissociative moment of like, I wish I could see this as severely as I see the homicidal poisonings. Yeah. <laughs> but in some ways it's different, but like the scale, yeah. right? The scale, like the like, scale is so big. You're so right. Like it could have easily, like, I mean, of course these deformities are horrible, but they could have mm-hmm. been 10,000 deaths of babies. Yes. Right. Easily, yeah. easily. And you know, the craziest thing is like, it could have been any of these drugs. It mm-hmm. didn't have to be thalidomide. Just replace thalidomide with any a number of drugs, you know? Mm-hmm. If they had just tested it in a different population, you know, like whatever, or given it to a certain group of people, we could be having more of these stories, but we just aren't because, you know, that's just how the dice rolls, I suppose. It, yeah. Honestly, it's like such a Russian roulette when it comes to like these earlier days of medicine. It yeah. just happens yeah. to be like, you know, as we learn more and more about the process, we are able to be a little more safe right. in how we do these things. And then right. every once in a while, it takes something like this for us to make that big leap and that big advancement in our safety in our safety um, and regulation measures. Absolutely. It sucks. But um, yeah. I, I forgot to mention this last part, but the little mm-hmm. is still used today. Oh, um, shit. Okay. Yeah, it is. And uh, I didn't really catch on to this, like even when I was doing my like studies and things like that. But the litamide uh, is used for cancer, so mm. it's used for multiple myeloma, and it's used as a chemotherapeutic agent. There are other um, drugs of its class that are mm-hmm. probably used more frequently than thalidomide. I personally have mm-hmm. not really seen thalidomide used on a daily basis. I would say in the oncology mm. world. I would say like its sister or brother, uh, lenalidomide, I've definitely seen used quite a bit. And it's also used for leprosy, which I don't know how often we treat that. Um, I'm not familiar with that, honestly. So, but it is used for leprosy. 
That is so fascinating. Okay, so now my brain is going like, okay, which you know how they made the claims like thalidomide treats a lot of things, mm-hmm. and that's why the women who are pregnant were taking it. Like it was curing their morning sickness, yep. it was curing anxiety, is helping them sleep, whatever. It made them just feel better, and like the result of that was um, in how it impacted the fetus. But mm-hmm. okay, hypothetically, if someone were like take out the pregnancy factor like let's say they just weren't pregnant Mm -hmm. ever or incapable of getting pregnant what what have you Mm -hmm. and they took thalidomide Mm -hmm. would it be like a safe all curing drug for a lot of things yes you know what i'm saying you get what i'm saying like yeah i mean i will say that thalidomide is definitely not used anymore for sleep or okay. anxiety or anything like that i'm sure that's okay. how they marketed it at this time which they did but that's mm-hmm. definitely not what it's used for today like i okay and, and even when i'm looking at this multiple myeloma like case of like how it yeah. can be used to treat multiple multiple myeloma mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure that's like a last line therapy mm-hmm. you know like, it's okay, not okay. like your go-to like i have not heard of thalidomide being used as like one of your first line therapies for multiple myeloma yeah. and yeah. even for leprosy i'm assuming that's also kind of like a, a last line therapy or like if everything else fails throw some thalidomide on it you know gotcha so it's but, not used as much today but to answer your question if yeah. you're not planning to be pregnant or you cannot get pregnant and let's just say you wanted to use it for multiple myeloma or leprosy or mm-hmm. even i guess if you wanted to use it as a sleep aid it would be safe yes how interesting yeah yeah, yeah. and and I'm, because because my question is like so for sure the only thing that makes that drug high risk is how it can impact your baby right like yep. other than that there's no like they've done the studies they can't mm-hmm. they can't find anything else that can impact you as a person that's right if you're not that's so interesting it's so i'm crazy. not asking this to be like okay everyone take the litamide now if you're not gonna have kids like because i think <laughs> i think it's scary i think the the idea that it can impact a future child even if you're not planning on having children, I think actually that's scary enough to me to be like, well, mm-hmm. I don't really know if it is safe for me. 100%. But um, yep. like hypothetically, I had to ask the hypothetical, like hypothetically, I it almost kind of the way they marketed it back then. It sounds like a wonder drug. Clearly. Yeah. It's not. And, but like, like, yeah. And I don't I don't know if you can catch on to this theme, Megan, but I feel like mm-hmm. in the stories that we have talked about that are very drug specific at this time i do feel mm-hmm. like that's how marketing was though mm-hmm. the, every drug was a wonder drug Tylenol's yeah wonder drug Aspen's right wonder drug it's cure-all you know like everything's that's just not yeah that's just not how that shit goes like even for radio yeah. it cures mm-hmm. everything like they wanted yeah. it to be the one-stop shop all the time right. during during like anything from like the 60s back yeah. right i think that's a yeah i think that's a i i will theorize that is a symptom of just having gone through a severe war and people are just like, Mm -hmm. let's just market everything as wonderful and cure alls and all your problems will dissolve. Yeah. Nothing bad's going to happen to you anymore. Like I can see how that, how that plays. And I I agree with you 100%. I think that's why. Mm -hmm. And just so everyone knows that is 100% illegal today. Mm, you mm-hmm. cannot do that today like in, yeah. there are so many lawyers in pharmaceutical companies that literally sit in on every single meeting and they're not lawyers per se they're like mm. they are people who understand the fda law very very well 
that will mm. sit in on these meetings and you cannot ever say use any kind of language that promotes your drug you just mm. have to say like this is what the drug is used for this is the data and if the data happens to be really good then great mm. like you know mm -hmm. that's good for you like this drug really works fine but you can't say like oh this drug is great you can't say stuff like that mm. um so you have to be very fair and balanced when you're presenting data uh, because it can sway a lot of people in the wrong way you know gotcha and you just can't do that you just cannot do that yeah but they get they kind of get around that like i'm thinking specifically of like cialis or like viagra yeah. commercials where yeah. they don't necessarily necessarily say like this is so great but it's more like <laughs> you know i can now spend a lot more time with my partner yeah it's a very positive yes. sentiment right mm -hmm. so they like they're able to kind of manipulate that yes, language they do yeah. they do because mm -hmm. there's like this much wiggle room and they make it go the extra mile yeah <laughs> semantics man yeah it's all about them semantics <laughs> yeah that that's why the marketing people get paid the big bucks for sure but yeah anyways that's <laughs> that's my that's my story dude that was so great what an education oh, i have I'm learned glad. today I'm really? gonna go watch that movie. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna watch that movie too. Um, as um, my bedtime, yeah. even though I just said I, I should watch it before I sleep. <laughs> we can. Hey, if we're gonna meet up on later this week, week, we can watch it together. That's Once true. again, for for Poison Pals, uh, the film is called "Attacking the Devil: Harold Evans and the Last Nazi War Crime," and it is a uh, documentary about uh, the Lidamide, the the Lidamide scandal. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Yep. Awesome. All right. Well, um, let's do some quick antidotes and then yeah. we'll exit. Um, I will go first. My antidote today, of which I'm chuckling because as we had mentioned before, we recorded last night and my antidote mm -hmm. last night was like, to me, very positive. Yeah. Um, that's last last week's episode. But my uh, comparatively, my antidote today is so mundane. Um, but it is... I went to Costco today yeah. for the first time in like probably a whole ass year. And when wow. I say going to Costco, I mean like going into the store. Mm -hmm. I've definitely gotten gas from them. <laughs> but uh, gas, yeah. like I have a card and I, you know, I split that membership with my mom and sister, mm -hmm. but I'm a single person. Like I don't need big bulk products, mm -hmm. but you know what? I was craving some Costco croissants so yes, bad girl, yes. that I was like, I'm going to go get me some buttery croissant. So I... <laughs> We're just going to go back and forth saying croissant. Croissant. <laughs> Everyone say it together. Okay, but anyway, um, that is my antidote. But now I'm chuckling because if it also makes me think of a tiktok that's been trending and what? it's if you've watched yes. jimmy neutron and it's like this carl weezer audio about him like saying croissant but it's in in carl weezer's voice uh, it's absurd anyway that uh, if yeah, you have a tiktok i will send it yeah go look up carl weezer croissant it's just <laughs> stupid that's my antidote. That's my antidote. I love it. That's that's actually a really good one. That's a good antidote. Okay. Um, my what is my antidote? Uh, honestly, it's also very mundane and stupid. But I think it was last night or last night or even today, I mm -hmm. said good night to everybody. I, I said my farewells 
And yeah. then I promptly took my ass upstairs and started bumping some music and had like my own little like dance party. <laughs> like high enough volume to, to yes. where everyone can hear you no, awake. No, no, no. no it oh, was okay. just like enough. It was like whisper volume, but I was just like, just Good like bumping for it for myself. But nice. I was also like practicing the dance, but then it turned uh, into a I dance see. party. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. You're like hyping yourself up mm-hmm. to go mm-hmm. to bed. Yes, yes. And so that yeah. way my ass is tired. And I just go straight to bed. There you go. Hey, that's another sleep aid. So yeah. books are number one mm-hmm. for natural sleep aids. And then number two is just dance mark. yourself tired and <laughs> sit the fuck down. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So that's what I did yesterday, which I feel like uh, like me, you, Andrew, we both like to have some like solo dance parties. Like just, we, I, just to pep ourselves up. I for sure dance in front of my mirror some days. I just, I'm just alone in my room doing it. If if people aren't doing that, you ain't living life. Yeah. Well, okay. This is a quick follow up question. Then we can, we can end the pod. But do when you do your dances in your room, do your cats enjoy that? Like, do they like kind of bop along? You know, they just kind of sit there. (laughs) Yeah. They just, cause, um, I, they would typically be like resting and asleep mm. on the bed and the music doesn't bother them. They're really? like very like they can sleep through the music. Nice. Um, I've caught LT looking at me every <laughs> once in a while. I'm sure he's like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? So far, they're not so judgmental. So that's okay. great. I, yeah. I like that positive environment for you, Megan. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's just, just me and my cats. I love it. I love uh, it. All right. We can head right. on out. Well, thank you so much, Harini, for your story. Uh, take it away. God, I, I feel like this is not a good one to do a biscuit on. But um, I'm just going to do a cop out. Don't risk it for okay. that croissant biscuit. <laughs> Say it with that hot Don't cl- risk it for that croissant biscuit. <laughs> sorry, people. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You can close the close your entire phone. It. Just turn your phone off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Throw in the water. All right. Good night. <laughs> Peace.